0: Two a swing a
1: Deep
2: left. Way back. Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast, I'm Kyle Glazer. Believe it or not, we are already more than a quarter of the way through the Major League season. I swear, it feels like opening day was last week, but uh, here we are. Every team has played at least 40 games and some are approaching 50. We're getting closer and closer to a third of the way through the season. Uh, A lot has happened already. There's a lot more still to come and joining me to talk about all of it is uh, Jeff Pons. Jeff There's been a lot of really, really kind of unique things about this major league season already, just in terms of where offense is, um, just how, you know, the game is being played overall coming out of a shortened spring training with the humidor being added before we kind of dive into the teams and just, you know, kind of breaking down our thoughts so far and kind of analysis of everything that's taken place, big picture, you know, 30,000 foot view macro level here. What has jumped out to you the most about the 2022 major league baseball season so far?
1: Yeah, I think for me, it's it's really been the lack of offensive production. Um, just based on the trends and things that we've seen over, you know, the last 20 to 30 years, usually we're in like two to three year cycles in terms of offense sort of going down or up. And then, you know, the opposite happens. Um, I anticipated it was going to be a potentially more offensive year this off season. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Um offense across the board has been down. I think there's been obviously a lot of questions about the balls and we'll get into that in a little bit, but um, just in terms of power production, home runs, um, you're not seeing it at the level that you were. Um, and I really think there's a lack of sort of that second tier of good teams. There seems to be a lot of sort of juggernauts, really good teams at the top of divisions. And then just a lot of teams below 500 a lot of teams at 500 that are sort of just treading water um so there haven't been a lot of big standouts this year so far i don't think on the player side necessarily or even on the team side outside of you know um, some new york teams who are doing pretty well
2: yeah i want to dive into the offensive numbers here a little bit uh, as of this recording on you know, friday morning may 27th the league-wide batting average is 238 that's the lowest batting average since the mound was lowered after the 1968 season 309 on base percentage league-wide, again, the lowest on base percentage in Major League Baseball since the mound was lowered after that 1968 season, and the 382 league-wide slugging percentage, that's the lowest in 30 years. 1992 was the last time it was that low, and I do think in some ways, I felt the opposite of you. It was very predictable that offense would be down early for a number of reasons. First and foremost, I wrote a story about this. Uh, At the very tail end of spring training, I talked to a couple of different players and Trey Turner being kind of foremost among them with the Dodgers. And, And what came out is we talk a lot about the length of spring training and it's as long as it is for the pitchers. They need the whole six weeks. You talk to hitters around the game, they'll tell you they need four, four and a half weeks. They don't need the full six. But three is too quick. A lot of these guys did not feel like they had their timing down. They did not feel mechanically in sync. They just did not feel like they normally feel at the beginning of the season because they didn't get the at-bats in spring training. So you take that, you combine that with cold weather. Again, April offense is always the lowest. It's just, especially when you look at the Midwest and the Northeast, just how freaking cold it is. Then you add in the fact that the humidor was installed at all 30 parks around Major League Baseball those three things were going to decrease offense. They were going to depress offense, especially early in the year until the weather warmed up and until these hitters kind of got more in sync those first three to four weeks of the season. But then you add in the inconsistency of the baseballs and it just compounds it even more. Again, so many teams have talked about it. So many players have talked about it. And look, it's really not that hard to tell the difference. I mean, we do it in our office all the time. I remember when major league baseball started using the MLB balls in AAA, put a ball in your hand. It's not hard to tell the difference. If you've played the game for most of your life, like all these guys have, again, you know what a baseball feels like. You put one in your hand and put another one in your hand, you can tell the difference. And it's really not hard. Even for those of us who haven't played in a number of years, you just basically anyone who, has feeling in their fingers can tell that they're different baseballs. And what's come up is, you know, Major League Baseball has made a ton of statements about the balls over the years that have been outright disproven by third-party researchers, Dr. Meredith Willis and Rob Arthur being two of the most prominent ones. And I just keep going back to, you know, we, we see all these crazy conspiracy theories being thrown out there. Major League Baseball is using different balls for primetime games and just, you know, yada, yada, yada. This will never happen because it's not in the DNA of Major League Baseball and Commissioner Rob Manfred and the owners and all the stakeholders. Um, It's not their DNA to be fully transparent about anything and just say, here's everything out in the open. But in this case, full transparency really is needed to avoid creating kind of the fertile ground for conspiracy theories because the baseballs are not the same. They're differing wildly. And it's, it's really just, again creating even more distrust amongst the players toward the league but also fans and especially now that the league has embraced gambling there's just so 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 many issues associated with this again I just go back to looking at the quality of the game right now again between the shortened spring training the cold weather and the humidor, offense was gonna go down early it's not a surprise to see this but you add in the inconsistency of the baseballs I think it's a real problem major league baseball needs to address again, just get them somewhere where it's consistent. Cause right now they're not. And again, every player sees it. Every coach sees it. Even us media, we go down, you know, pick up a couple balls during VP that roll our way. I mean, I have felt it. It's, it's, it's really an issue they need to address.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, the production and just the excitement in some of the games has been fairly obvious too. Um, and I know, we're at a point where I think pitching in terms of training and our understanding of how things work for pitchers, uh, and their ability to optimize that is probably stronger too, which certainly doesn't help, and I think given some, it gave some pitchers a head start, as funny as it sounds, with having that time off in 2020, because they were able to a lot of guys, take a step back sort of work on their arsenals, rework some things that maybe they couldn't do on the fly in a typical off season, you know, where they didn't have 12 months off. And I think you've seen some of that too, um, where breaking balls are being thrown harder more frequently with more movement than ever before, Um, at least as long as we've been able to measure this. And I think, you know, most, most people would probably say that the ability to measure it and quantify it allows us to teach it a little bit more. So um, that's one of the reasons that I think you know, pitching is so far ahead of hitting. Um, but it's made for, in my opinion, less, less interesting games. Um, and I know there's probably some debate on this. I am somebody that likes pitching. I like low-scoring games. But when a ball is hit well and a, and a pitch isn't executed and you know, it ends up being, we'll say, a fly ball on the warning track as opposed to a 430-foot home run, I don't know if that's great for entertainment value. But I guess there's some debate to be had there.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I still think the games have been plenty interesting because there's a lot of great players and some teams playing good baseball we're going to dive into in a second. It's funny. So I think everyone knows I do a lot of our Major League Baseball coverage, or I should say I do all of our Major League Baseball coverage. You know, I mix it with some minor league stuff. So I was out doing big league stuff opening week, uh, went, did some minor league stuff, and I've been back out in big league parks this this last week for the most part, two days in San Diego and last night in Anaheim. And It just jumps out how many balls off the bat that were home runs in 2019, 2020, 2021, especially, are now long flyouts at the warning track. Anthony Rendon had one last night that off the bat, that thing is a home run. It's a no doubt home run each of the last three years. And it was called the warning track. And I think again, it's it's just a tough situation because there have been games where the ball seems like it's flying again. The Phillies talked about it on their road trip to Dodger Stadium. So it just comes down to consistency because at least if the ball is consistent, hitters can start making adjustments like, hey, maybe the you know launch angle and getting the ball in the air if the ball's not traveling as far and with outfielders playing further back than ever before, maybe that's not successful. Maybe I need to level my swing out, hit some hard liners that fall in front of the outfielders, force them to play in and then to create some space behind them for doubles and triples in the gaps. But as long as the balls are inconsistent, you don't know what you're getting, you can't make adjustments. And I think to me, it just goes back to, again, I, I don't feel like games have been boring. I've still enjoyed being out there, but you're right. I, on the one hand, a lot of the cheap home runs are gone, which is nice. I just I keep going back to Yankee Stadium, opposite field, you know, right-handed hitter, ball off their fists. It's like they're fighting it off and somehow it's going out over the right field fence. I mean, it was absolutely a joke. It's a good thing those are gone. But again, there's balls being hit at optimal launch angles, you know, 95 to, you know, 105 off the bat. And they're dying at the warning track. Again, if that's how the game's gonna be, that's fine. But the balls have to be consistent so that hitters can make adjustments. If it's not consistent, they never can. Again, offense is going to tick back up as the weather warms up, as hitters, you know, start to find the rhythm. We've already started to see some guys who have to slow starts start to pick it up a little bit. You know, Mookie Betts is a great example with the Dodgers. Trey Turner, to a degree as well, uh, as well as some rookies like Julio Rodriguez who are making their adjustments. So again, offense is going to tick up. It's not going to be this bad all year. I just go back to you know finding some consistency with the baseballs that needs to happen asap and. Unfortunately, I think at this point, both myself as well as players, coaches, and general fans of the game don't fully trust Major League Baseball to make that happen. I, I mean, do you, Jeff? No. <laughs> I think it's I think it's incredibly
1: difficult to, um, you know, and I, I'll watch my words here, but I, I I just think it's difficult at this point to trust that group um, to provide enough information that is logical and transparent and. Um, I think we saw over the last two years between the negotiations when baseball had prime time, no other sports were going. Um, they had an opportunity to, you know, be sort of the first active sport during COVID when people were home. It was such a blown opportunity. It
2: was a disastrous blown opportunity not starting yeah.
1: in June. Yeah, I can remember being on the golf course for Father's Day that year with a couple other dads that were sort of in my neighborhood pod or whatever. And, you know, they're not huge baseball fans, but they're sports fans. And they were talking about baseball. And it was funny because we missed this opportunity to sort of, you know, make guys into bigger stars, go into the national forefront, which is something I don't think baseball has done a great job of in the last couple of years. And particularly at a point in time when NHL and NBA playoffs in NFL minicamps would be going. So there were some other stories that maybe weren't in the way. They couldn't even get that out of the way. It was really not transparent. It was all over the place. Um, and then the everything was a Dishonesty negotiation.
2: during, uh, during yeah. negotiations this offseason yeah. in terms of, hey, exactly, ba- 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 owning a baseball franchise is not profitable. Yep. Uh-huh. Sure. So anyway, hmm. all right. Hmm. So now let's get to the fun stuff again. We don't want to make this a a cranky podcast. No one wants to listen to that, especially (laughs) Memorial Day. It's a happy time. Sun's coming out all over the country, barbecues. And again, there are still a lot of really, really positive things happening. Uh, Jeff, this is going to be our Coastal Elite podcast today. Makes sense. I'm uh, I'm in SoCal. You're in the Northeast. Uh, But first (laughs) and foremost, one of the early storylines, and really something that's been one of the more impressive things early on, we talk about a lot of teams maybe – not playing great, but two teams that have been are the two New York teams, the Yankees and Mets Um, for the first time in a long time. Both of them are are competitive at the same time and both have been playing really good baseball. Uh, First and foremost, starting with the Yankees, they have the best record in baseball. They're firing on all cylinders. And I want to go back to the conversation that we had before the season, you and I in the AL season preview podcast. And I talked about at length how last year the Yankees just played bad baseball I was sloppy. It was not sharp. It was not crisp. They were bottom 10 in the majors in fielding percentage. And again, whether you prefer fielding percentage or more advanced metrics, however you want to measure it, they were among the worst in the league defensively. And then they're also bottom 10 in baseball. Outs made all the bases last year. And some of the things that happened were things you wouldn't see in Little League. I mean, yeah. it was just sloppy bad baseball. They gave away outs like it was candy on Halloween. And it was really, really not hard to see why they were struggling and why they had to sneak into the playoffs in the final day of the season. And I talked about on talent, this was a 95 to 100 win team this year, but they had to play cleaner baseball. They had to play better baseball. So far, they have been as sharp and as crisp as, as I can remember any Yankees team being. Uh, as of this recording, they're sixth in the majors in fielding percentage. They're right around the league average in outs made all the bases. So they haven't been great, but they haven't been terrible. They have stopped giving away outs, and, and that's made all the difference in the world. Then you add in the offense, again, a lot of big names, but last year they had just horrible at-bats. Last year they were 25th in the majors in strikeout rate. This year, they're 12th. They've cut their K rate. They're top five in runs, top five in OPS. Last year, they were 19th and 12th. I mean, just everything. It's better defense, better base running, better offensive approaches. Everything's just better and sharper, and it's allowing their true talent to play. I'm not surprised to see the Yankees with the best record in baseball playing this way because they have the talent to do it. They just Mm -hmm. needed to play better baseball than they have been.
1: Yeah, and I think that was a fundamental flaw with that 2021 team was you looked at that infield and you looked at the catching defense at the time and it was a it was a black hole and it was something that I think anybody who had paid attention and watched those guys play before yes uh, <laughs> the expectation was that it was going to be pretty bad the base running and some of that other stuff I think was um worse than we had anticipated but I can remember my wife's from New Jersey uh, her whole family is Yankees fans but beginning of the season we were sitting there and when I was in Florida first week of the season watching a Yankees uh, game I think it was against the Red Sox or someone and um, it was against Cleveland actually my favorite team um and uh, uh, the grandfather was talking oh they don't hit enough singles and blah, blah, blah I'm like they can't play defense man like that was the problem last year like there were routine ground balls and plays that were you know sometimes two outs that they got none out of you got it. You got to be. You got to have com. You don't have to be Gold Glove at shortstop and third base, but you need to be at least middle of the pack and competent to be a winning franchise in Major League Baseball on the left side of the infield. It's it's third base and shortstop is too important. You can shift guys around at second. You can figure some things out at least for now. Same with first base. You you can't hide it behind the plate either. And Gary Sanchez was really bad. And I think at times um, having to deal with you know, the spotlight of the New York media and some of that stuff, I'm sure only compounded it. Um, and some of those struggles, uh, we just know mentally how that stuff can play. So um, I think that's one of the big reasons that they've been better. Um, they had, as you said, the talent offensively, uh, the impact, they've had some health too with judge. Of course, Stanton now just went down, but early Stanton for the first month and a half of the season has been in VP caliber probably as good as he's been, while he's been with the Yankees or at least since his first season so I think that plays in a lot um, but they're a better ball club much cleaner baseball being played uh, in all three phases and uh, the bullpen is really talented I think even with Clay Holmes despite Aroldis's uh, injury issues and some struggles when he was healthy probably because of the injuries Clay Holmes has turned into one of the best relievers if not the best reliever at the moment in baseball and uh, the Yankees they always seem to find relievers but Holmes looks like an absolute win for them right
2: now. Yeah. Go back to a lot of the cleaner baseball is just better personnel. Again, instead of Gary Sanchez behind the plate, you have Jose Trevino and Kyle Higashioka, two really, really good defenders. You get Gleyber Torres out of shortstop, put him at second. You bring in Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who, again, is a really good defender. He's had some plays where it's like a little close. He'll bobble it and then make the throw to get the out. But the out's being made, which it wasn't last year full year from Anthony Rizzo at first base, a full year from Joey Gallo in the outfield and, and you know, Josh Johnson at third base. It, it's better personnel, but they're also just playing more engaged. I mean, there were so many, we talked about the infield defense last year, the outfield defense fly ball. I mean, the outfielders are getting way late jumps. And I just remember, you know, the game where Clint Frazier is in left field and, he throws a ball to like the middle of the infield and Garrett Cole gave him a death stare. It's like, what are we doing here? Just lack of pre-pitch preparation, knowing where you're going with the baseball, just again, basic fundamentals that were lacking last year. And, and I think, again, I give credit to this new coaching staff for getting these guys sharper, you credit the front office for just bringing in guys who fit better defensively. And again, it's all, it's all kind of compounding. You mentioned all three phases, you know, the pitching side, Jordan Montgomery and Jameson Tyone right now, and again, it's early and it's in the context of, of offense being down across the league. But as of right now, they're on pace for the two lowest ERAs of their careers and they're averaging well under a strikeout per inning. A lot of it is they're throwing strikes, they're pounding the strike zone and they're trusting their defense behind them. They're not walking guys, but they're not striking out a ton of guys either. You have a good defense behind you. It, it helps the pitching staff enormously. And yeah. again, I just go back to, I do think this is sustainable. If the Yankees keep playing the way they're playing, this is absolutely a team that I expect to be really, really good throughout the season. I don't think this is a team that's going to tail off. Now, if their lapses start to come back defensively, if you know some injuries pop up, or if they start being fancy and putting guys in positions they shouldn't be playing, again, there are moments they put Torres back at shortstop that should just not even be an option on the table then they could go sideways. But I think as long as they just keep doing what they're doing, and, and again, there's places to upgrade. Joey Gallo's not hitting. Aaron Hicks is not hitting. But just the overall general way they're playing as a team, I do think is sustainable. And again, this is a 95 to 100 win team on talent, and I firmly expect them to end up there.
1: Yeah. And having spent a week sitting on their AAA team last week, uh, it was Wald Peraza and eight former major leaguers. Not they're all great, but there is some depth there just in terms of they're not gonna have to make huge moves. They have guys they can call it that can at least sort of fill that gap. Um, and I think it's probably similar to what we've seen San Francisco have some success with over the last couple of years where they find those sort of fringe up and down types. Coach them up a little bit, and it also gives you some depth on the 40 man. I had one scout describe... Um, the giants 40 man roster as a 50 man roster <laughs> and it sort of went into the description as to why. And I think the Yankees are kind of doing that. They also have some pretty decent pitching prospects that are in the upper minors uh, guys that could potentially fill, even if it's bulk relief roles um, spot, start roles, guys that could be starters for a month while someone else is, is, is on the IL or, you know, they decide to maybe skip, you know, Montgomery and, and tie in a little bit more later in the season just so they stay fresh for the playoffs, they have that luxury. Uh, and I think 40-man depth, especially in a season like this where you know we still have the COVID issues, they're not as prevalent as they were, but it will still pop up and you could lose two or three star players for a few games. Um, and just having that luxury and the talent uh, in your upper minors and the ability to bring those guys onto your roster in a flash, I think is a big advantage for them and a few other clubs.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we have to talk about the other New York team, the Mets lead the National League East, and uh, there's a lot of celebration around that. And and they've done it despite not having Jacob DeGrom for the entire year. Uh, Max Scherzer just went down. He'll be out six to eight weeks. So that's definitely something that's certainly concerning. But they're in first place in their division. They're playing well. Again, what's really stood out to me is you know, Buck Showalter, is doing a great job of using the whole roster. He's finding spots for Luis Giorma and Travis Jankowski in addition to all the star power. The roster is just so, so, so much deeper after their off-season acquisitions. You know, Mark Cannis, Starling Marte, um, and on the pitching side as well, they've been able to withstand these injuries. But what really stands out is this is not a one-dimensional team anymore. I mean, the past, this was hey, we've got you know, stud at the front of the rotation or stud or two when Sundergaard was healthy and you know, and Wheeler at, at, at times, but then you prayed that guys at the back would figure it out. And then again, this was just a very one dimensional offense that was very station to station, you know, hit a ball a mile and and pray that they get into five or six balls a game. This team this year is just much more dynamic. It's much more kinetic. It's a deeper roster. Um, You're getting improved performance from the starters. Everything is really clicking for them. What has stood out to you the most about the Mets? And ultimately, do you think this is sustainable? Because again, this was a team that was in first place in the NL East for pretty much all of last season, except when it counted there at the very end, they slid and the Braves overtook them and, and ran away with it by the time the season was over. And if almost if they ended up finishing with a losing record. They so. did, yes. They finished is, with a losing record. They set the record for the team that has in the first place the most days of the season to actually finish with a losing record. I believe they set that record. So, again, we've seen the Mets go off to hot starts before and not sustain it. I guess the better question is, do you feel like this year is different? Is this the year that they sustain a hot start and not only finish with a winning record, but finish in the postseason?
0: Yeah,
1: you know, uh, I feel much better about it this season than I did in years prior. And I think even beyond the talent that's on the roster, obviously there's been some injuries. Um, you know, particularly at the top of the rotation where you had two potential studs. Um, you know, you still have some starting depth, at least in terms of major league quality starters. Um, you know, Carlos Carrasco has actually been really good. He's um, one of the
2: key guys I want to bring up. I'll let you finish though first. Yes. Sure.
1: Yeah. And and you know, I think we've seen him um, kind of transform a little bit as a pitcher. Uh, He's not the same sort of, this power guy who was going to um, – the velocity isn't down that much. But it's not the swing and miss, you know, um, strikeout sort of um, first guy that he was years ago. You're really seeing um, a return to his best command, which he hasn't had since prior to the pandemic and, you know, his health issues that he's had to deal with. Um, I think it's a really encouraging thing for the Mets there, particularly considering you're going to get – Scherzer, and probably DeGrom back. Um, offensively, I think this is a really good lineup. It's a really well-balanced lineup. Um, and it might be one of the few lineups, funny enough, and I don't think this was on purpose, that perhaps is a little bit better with this current environment in, in, in balls. They're, they're a little bit more on-base contact-focused. Um, they have some guys who obviously can run as well right at the top of the lineup there. Um, your only really true masher in their everyday lineup is, is Pete Alonso at this point. Um, they can score runs a variety of ways, and it's very much a sort of, I guess, J.D. Davis, too, when he's in the lineup, but he's really a platoon bat. Um, so I think the way that they can manufacture runs, I think, is kind of interesting. Um, they're certainly much deeper and much more versatile. And I think what you said earlier about Showalter and how he's handled the lineup, is a reflection of that. It's a reflection of how versatile this team is. And I think that's something that we've seen with good teams over the last couple of years. Sometimes um, a lot of, we'll say, fives and 55s that have versatility can be better than, you know, three sevens and a, and a bunch of four and a halfs, you know, if we're going on scouting grades. Um, yes,
2: Stars and Scrubs doesn't work. Yeah, to, to your point, the Mets right now are third in the majors in run scored. They've outscored the Yankees this year, third in the majors in run scored. And you mentioned that their average on base percentage, they're second in the majors in batting average, behind only the Rockies, who get to play a lot of games in Coors Field, of course. And on base percentage, they're second in the majors in on base percentage as well. You know, it's a team with a sub 400 slugging percentage. They're nowhere near the top of the majors in slugging percentage or home runs. But again, they have different ways they can be. You know, we've we've seen them stage some pretty remarkable comebacks. Uh, the night in San Francisco, they ultimately lost that game, uh, the game against the Phillies, which they won. I mean, this is a team that. When you're strong one through nine in the lineup and everyone is a threat to get a hit and get on base you can pile up runs in a hurry it's not just about hope two guys get on and take the biggest swings you can they've done a really good job and i think it's sustainable because you're getting de grob and scherzer back at least in theory but but one of the things that has been really really key here because in years past injuries like that have crushed the mets we saw it for years when de and syndergaard would have go down it was a problem the acquisition of Chris Bassett was one of the, the best acquisitions of the offseason in terms of getting a really good pitcher who's very underappreciated and didn't give up a whole lot. But Carlos Carrasco's resurgence it has really, really helped here as well. Um, you know, you go back before he was diagnosed with leukemia, he was very quietly one of the best pitchers in baseball. He did not get anywhere near the attention he deserved. Obviously had that very, very scary bout with leukemia, but came back was really good in 2020 Last year's first year at the Mets again, only made 12 starts, wasn't healthy the whole year, but he's healthy again. When he is healthy, he is a really, really, really good pitcher and someone that Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't fully appreciate. And we're seeing that this year. So you add a healthy Carlos Carrasco, you add a really good Chris Bassett. You know, Taiwan Walker's been a good pitcher for a while now. And David Peterson's had a nice little bounce back again. He was really good as a rookie in 2020. Last year was pretty rocky, but so far, he's pitched well. And then you add in a guy like Trevor Williams, who is, again, a perfectly cromulent swingman. It's not the sexiest addition in the world. But having a guy like that who, hey, he can make a start. He can give you some long innings of relief. And, again, that's valuable. It's solid. The Mets just have a really good, deep roster for what I feel like is, is the first time in a while on both the pitching side and the offensive side. And that's a credit to new GM Billy Epler. And it's a credit to Buck Showalter for – getting everyone enough playing time and really using the whole roster to their strengths. Um, yeah. I mean, I am buying it, especially with the brave struggles, especially with some of the Philly struggles and just the state of the NL East in general, I'm, I'm buying the Mets as, as a team that can win this division and uh, we'll see how far they can take it in the postseason. All right, Jeff, uh, we still got a lot more to talk about. We're going to take a quick
3: break and hear from our sponsors. Then we'll get right back to it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
2: All right, we are back, breaking down the 2022 Major League Baseball season. I'm Kyle Glazer, alongside Jeff Ponce. All right, Jeff, we just got done talking about the Mets, who, again, I feel like have gotten most of the pub so far. But they're not the team with the best record at the National League. That would be the Dodgers. Once again, surprise, surprise. Uh, They entered today 30-14. and What's really interesting about them, though, beyond their winning record is the run differential. Uh, They're outscoring opponents by 114 runs this season at just over a quarter of the way through the season. Now, pace can be a very, very slippery slope, especially when you're talking about something being so early in the season. But at their current pace, they would set a new record for the largest run differential of any team in Major League Baseball history. That record is currently held by the 1939 Yankees with a plus 401 run differential. I guess I'm not going to ask if the Dodgers are going to do that because so many things can happen. But I, I do want to ask you, are the Dodgers not getting enough attention? I mean, once again, this team is, is pretty remarkable.
1: Uh, yeah, I think I honestly think there's a lot of people that if you ask them right now, um, you know, who had the most uh, wins in baseball besides the Yankees, the answer for a lot of people might actually be the Mets and, and not the Dodgers. Um, Dodgers have played less games than the Mets too. I think three or four less games than the Mets. So yeah, I feel like they're not getting enough press. Maybe people are a little bit sick at this point. You know, it's sort of at the point where of course, the Dodgers are good. Again, we knew they were going to be a good team. There was no shock there. Um, but you know, if the Dodgers were underperforming, we would hear all about it. Right. So I think it's sort of uh, the two sides of the coin and sort of where they're at. But when you look at this lineup, um, it's as good of a lineup and pitching staff, probably a 40-man roster, um, as I've seen probably since the late 90s, Yankees even. Um, This is star power from top to bottom. They have bench players in this team like Edwin Rios, uh, who I think would probably start on half the teams in the league would still get a fair amount of at bats um, really talented pitching staff of course we know that they have a ton of depth there but just even their ability to you know pluck somebody from uh, you know their minor leagues bring them up for a spot, a spot start and get a really quality outing out of them um, that's not just isolated to a handful of players either they have a really deep 40 man roster they have a deep bullpen and they do as well of identifying talent uh on the minor league side the amateur side but also at the major league side i think we sometimes maybe underrate the quality of their major league advanced scouting um, because they're always able to identify players where hey whatever it is this might be some stuff that's coming from the analyst we have a guy here who's a starter for somebody else or you know whatever they always seem to acquire someone and find their sort of best version of themselves when they're with the Dodgers by and large. Uh, So I think all of this, the the systematic sort of setup that the Dodgers have and some of those benefits that they're able to provide internally, their own players allows them every year to sort of, you know, refill up the coffers at the trade deadline. Uh, And that was one of the things I wanted to bring up is they could actually be a better second half team than they've even been so far in the first quarter of the first half. Um, they're a team that could add an injection of youth and get above average production from players that are on the AAA roster. Now they also have a deep enough farm system with enough talent that they could go and acquire superstar reinforcements if they need to. We saw it last year with Max Scherzer. Um, if they need to do that because of a catastrophic injury, they're one of the few organizations that can do it uh, without skipping a beat or really, putting into question their future by having to trade away a potential, you know, cost-controlled star.
2: Yeah. Matt Eddy, our colleague uh, pointed out that the Dodgers right now are on pace to lead the national league in both runs scored and runs against for what would be a record fifth straight season. As of right now, they've scored the most runs in the major leagues. And as of right now, they have the lowest ERA in the major leagues. Can't do much better than that. And I think what's interesting is you and I both see the potential for this team to be even better, but for different reasons. Uh, The biggest thing that jumps out to me is the Dodgers, again, have the best record in the National League, lead the majors in runs, have allowed the fewest runs, and are on pace to break the Major League Baseball run differential record that is currently going on 80 some odd years. They're doing that with Justin Turner still isn't hitting, Max Muncie still isn't hitting, Cody Bellinger still isn't hitting. The number five spot in their starting rotation has been a rotating cast of characters with Clayton Kershaw on the aisle, and Kershaw was dealing. He had a one ERA in five starts. So they're doing all these things, and they're not even functioning at 100% yet. They're not even at peak performance yet. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like they're already a juggernaut, and it's very, very easy to see, even if they don't make a single addition this year how they could be so much better when some of these other guys who we know are more talented than what they've shown so far, if they just play even to you know, average what they typically do, I mean, this team could be even better than it has been. And Then you add in, like you said, oh, if that happens and they go make additions or bring up impact reinforcements from the farm system. Again, the Yankees have the best record in baseball and I'm a big believer in the old Bill Parcells saying, you, know, you are what your record says you are. But I do believe the Dodgers have far and away the most talent in the major leagues. And as long as they stay healthy and don't overthink things with their pitching in the postseason, there's no reason for this team not to, again, you know, be right on the cusp of a world series. Um, This is a great team. We knew that coming in and, and they're showing it. Jeff, I want to pivot to the team that the Dodgers lost to in last year's NLCS. That's the Braves, the defending world series champions. You know, we, we talked about teams who are doing really, really well, Mets, Yankees, Dodgers, This is one that isn't Uh, right now, again, entering today. The Braves are 21 and 24. They're under 500. They're seven and a half games back of first place, the National League East. They've been outscored all the year. What is your level of concern with the Braves? Because it is worth noting, again, they were a sub-500 team as late as early August last year and went on to win the World Series.
1: So, you know, I I certainly consider that uh, a factor, and I think it's something that needs to be brought up into the conversation. I think putting yourself in a hole and having to consistently dig yourself out of it into consecutive years is not a great strategy to find consistent competitiveness, right? Um, And I think what we're seeing now is there's maybe a few more holes here than we had anticipated. Uh, Ian Anderson has been okay ERA-wise, but if you really look at some of the underlying numbers, he's been pretty bad. Charlie Morton has been bad for a little bit now. Uh, He's coming off an injury, of course, that shut him down at the end of the year last year. You have to wonder how much that's weighing into it. He's also older. The recovery is not going to be the same as if he was a 30, 31-year-old pitcher. Um, And then we look at the lineup. Matt Olsen um, hasn't been bad, but he's slugging below 500, and I don't think that's –
2: Slugging below 450.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I don't think that's something you would have anticipated from uh, what they paid that guy and went to acquire him and let Freddie Freeman, you know, a franchise star, uh, franchise player, um, face of your franchise, really. I think you can make a case in some instances, uh, though I think it's probably Acuna at this point. Let him walk. Uh, Ozuna's been bad Albies has been pretty bad this year. Um, You know, he's He's been been really bad this year. Yeah. He's been below hundred WRC plus and he's been below even a league average player at this point. Um, Austin Riley is streaky. He hasn't been awful, but also not sort of producing at the MVP level. He was at the second half of last season, which we remember after Acuna went down, Riley really stepped up and, and, you know, was a cog in the middle of that lineup and allowed them to score a lot of runs they're missing some of the players that they had acquired, Jock Peterson, Andy Rosario, some of those guys. They're just professional hitters. And I think we're seeing now with the Giants just how quality Jock Peterson's at-bats are time after time after time. Uh, and he has a feel for the big moment, which I know I'm a data guy. It's not something you can quantify. But I think anybody who's played sports knows there's certain guys who tighten up in those spots. There's certain guys that are loose and, you know, get up for it or whatever. He's someone that seems to play above his head. Um, so, and Acuna doesn't seem completely healthy. He came back, He, you know, he wants to play a certain way. I, I think that's the other thing, is he's having a lot of trouble reining it in. Um, so you're going to deal with some stuff throughout the season if he remains healthy and active. He's going to have longer stretches where he probably has to have a couple of games off. I don't know how great that is, uh, you know, for your long-term Outlook. I know that they missed them last year, ended up winning a World Series. So uh maybe the point is moot, but I don't think you can do that two years in a row. And I don't think the bullpen is that good either. I think there's some questions certainly there as well. So um, though I think Atlanta's a good program, a really well-run organization, uh, you don't want to do this two years in a row, uh, particularly in a division that's pretty competitive and has, you know, a a couple of teams that are willing to spend and maybe go out and find reinforcements. Uh, I don't know if Philly really views themselves as a competitor, um, but I'd be shocked if they don't, right? Uh, And they have the same record right now, and it wouldn't shock me if Philly was better than Atlanta down the stretch here. So I would be concerned. I I wouldn't panic totally. Um, And I think that we always anticipate in this first half of the season there's going to be some playoff hangover. Uh, with a lot of teams like this that maybe haven't made, you know, it's not the Astros where they've made long runs like this year after year after year now for five or six years. And these guys are just sort of used to it.
2: My level of concerns is seven out of 10. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just frankly, they're missing Freddie Freeman right now, his contact skills in the lineup and they're missing Ronald Acuna. You know, you mentioned Acuna not being fully healthy. When he hit that home run, his first home run back against the Brewers and he fell down and people like, Oh, that's, you know, so funny. That's amazing. He hit a home run falling down. That was a red flag. He didn't have the stability in his knee. You could see it. That's why he fell down. And then you watched him play the outfield. It was very, very clear he's not a hundred percent yet. That knee is not where it needs to be, strength or stability-wise. You know, you've mentioned Charlie Morton taking that comebacker off his leg and suffering a broken bone last year. Um, you know, whether that's affecting him or it's just age, I mean, Ozzy obviously looks lost. He's been. There's no easy way to say it. I mean, he's been bad. He's got a sub-300 on base, a sub-400 slug, 240-some average. He has not been good at all. And they don't have a true center fielder. I mean, there's a lot of holes on this team right now in the lineup, on defense. And one of the things that really jumped out to me when I dug into the data a little bit, the Braves have the highest strikeout rate of any team in the major leagues right now. No one else is striking out more frequently than they are on a percentage basis. And I know a lot of people out there say, Oh, you know, strikeouts good, bad, yada, yada, yada. They're not really that bad, which is not accurate in any way, shape or form, but that's a different story. Teams that strike out at this level teams that have the worst strikeout rate in the major leagues, those teams are never good. Go back and look, it's the Cubs last year. It's a lot of tigers, Marlins. It's when the white Sox were really bad, when you are striking out more than anyone else in Major League Baseball, more often than not, you end up picking in the top five to ten picks of the draft the following year. They've got to figure out what's going on offensively again. And this is one of the things I, I think Matt Olson's a great player, but Freddie Freeman's ability to hit for contact is so, so, so valuable. The ability to check down like he does and just poke a single into the left field when defenses are shifting him, that's valuable. You know, Matt Olson's a great player. He can't do that. I think you're losing the contact element. Again, Acuna is not healthy. That was very, very visible when he came back. Again, falling down the home run, it was very clear to see he didn't have stability in the knee. You add in, you mentioned some of the pitching staff issues. Again, I think this is a real issue. There's a lot of holes on this team right now. Again, not having a true center fielder affects things defensively, and Adam Duvall's not hitting either. It's not even like he's giving you the offensive production you want there. So, yeah, I really do think this is legitimate level of concern here, seven out of 10, but we have seen Alex Anthopoulos and his group be very, very aggressive at the trade deadline and be very clear-eyed about what their problems are. So I think as this team is currently constructed, it's an issue. But I also trust this front office to address it sufficiently at the trade deadline, just because they have a, a track record of doing so. And while this is not a very good farm system anymore, just because picking later in the draft, international penalties, you know, graduations, other trades, we've seen again and again, heck, we saw it literally last year with this exact team with the Braids, you can acquire good, impactful major leaguers for almost nothing, especially if they're on an expiring contract. I mean, it's really never been cheaper to acquire good big league players. So I'm not going to sit here and say they're definitely going to miss the playoffs, but I will say that they're going to need to have a similarly aggressive trade deadline in order to do so because as currently constructed, yeah, this is not good.
1: No, Yeah. I agree. I a hundred percent. I think this is uh pretty bad and you know, you can't do this year after year. I just, I really think that it was an anomaly. You don't see that very often.
2: So Jeff, one team that was a popular pick to, I wouldn't so much call them a sleeper because they won 90 games last year, but a popular pick to end the longest playoff drought in North American sports was the Seattle Mariners. And it was really funny, you know, when I wrote about, Hey, when a team has a number one farm system, they typically make the playoffs within the next two years. And out of that, a significant number have at least one World Series appearance in the ensuing years. And Mariners fans, and again, they have very valid reasons to believe this. There were a lot of them that were very, very skeptical. It's like, yeah, this is the Mariners. You know, if anyone's going to break that trend, it's us. Right now, the Mariners are 18 and 27 and in last place in the American League West. They are behind the Rangers and they are behind the A's who are not even trying, not even pretending to try. What's your level of concern here on the Mariners?
1: It's like a nine. Uh, like, I, I don't know how you could look at where they stand in the standings and the type of teams they have. They have the same record as the Orioles, guys. It's the same <laughs> record as the much bemoaned non-competitive Baltimore Orioles. All right, and I think that is a pretty a pretty big indictment on this season. It's nine games below five hundred Could they turn it around and play 600 ball, you know, the next three months? Sure. Um, I don't see it happening. I don't think they have the ponies just yet. Um, In my opinion, they're still, they're still a year away um, from probably being as competitive as we thought they were going to be. It's still, it shouldn't have been this bad. They should be a better team than the Orioles. They should be a better team than the athletics, and um, you know, I think that that leads to some major questions for me.
2: So I'm going to go the opposite way here. My concern level here is only about a four out of ten. There is some concern, but I, I still think there are some things to be legitimately hopeful about can help them turn the season around enough to be competitive when it comes down to wild card contention. First and foremost, the back rotation will stabilize a bit that George Kirby is up, you know, he showed some good things. He's a really good pitcher. He's a better fit as a starter than Matt Brash is and just a better pitcher. That's why he ranked ahead of Brash on the top 100 and then the Mariners top 10. You know, Robbie Ray got off to a, a bit of a rough start. He had a really good opening start, a little bit of a rough patch. You know, he just had his first quality start in a month. So maybe things are starting to turn there. Look, Jesse Winker's not going to hit 216 all year. The bullpen has been atrocious, and that's been really surprising, seeing you know, Diego Castillo and Andres Munoz and those guys struggle. They're not going to keep struggling as bad as they've been. You know Diego Castillo isn't going to have an ERA over seven when the season's over. So I think you just have a lot of guys playing below their true talent level, and I think that'll straighten itself out as the season goes on. Plus, the, the Rangers and A's are just bad. I think at a certain point, Seattle's going to be able to beat up on them and, and – Pick up some easy wins there. They haven't done it yet, but again, when I look at the Mariners, I just see a lot of guys who we know are talented that are playing below their talent level, and and, you know we're starting to see some things pick up. Right, Julio Rodriguez terrible start. He's been on fire recently. Adam Frazier bit of a slow start. He's picking it up. There's still some holes, um, you know, catching wise. Cal Raleigh is not hitting. Um, That's an issue. But, you know, they just got Kyle Lewis back. He's going to DH. You know, we need to see how healthy he is in the box. But I think what he's capable of can be helpful. So I I just see a path back where a lot of guys who are struggling will be better than they've been. They'll pick it up a little bit. And again, be competitive. I I did not think they would overtake the Astros to win the West before the season. I, I certainly don't think that now. But I also don't think they're going to be last place when the year's over. Um, you know, it's just a matter of sure. whether it's second or third, and some of that's going to depend on the Angels and what they do. So I, I, I think they'll be okay. Um, and I, I only put it out a, a four out of ten. Okay, because you had mentioned like I, I thought the question was
1: playoff drought in particular, the ending of that playoff drought. Yeah, yeah. maybe that. I maybe that's a six really out of ten. Okay. Yeah, I think they're in a bad spot there with that. I don't think they're going to finish behind the Rangers or have the same. Record as the Orioles at the end of the season, um, but for as good as I think some people thought this team was going to be, you know, I think a lot of people thought that like, okay, yeah, this is this is going to be a playoff team, and we really haven't seen that. We've seen some guys struggle, um, you know, particularly even Robbie Ray, uh, who won <laughs> the AL Cy Young last year, um, you know, and I think is he's had some bad luck, um, but. Ray still has, you know, near five ERA, and um, he's had some some pretty rough outings as well, so uh, it, it's just a matter of getting more consistency from him, and I think that's that's huge. I mean, the difference between inconsistent and consistent Robbie Ray is the difference between a number five starter and an ace, so...
2: You know, it's interesting. I mentioned, I, I think Robbie Ray will turn around, but what is your level of concern about Jared Kelenic? Uh Again, you know, last year it was rough, but we saw him get progressively better as the year went on kind of month by month. He thought it was starting to move in the right direction. Uh, came out this year and um, it was, it was really not good. Hit 140, uh, struck up 36 times and 96 plate appearances and ultimately got demoted back down to the minors. He's 22 years old. This is by no means, you know, the end of his career or anything like that. But what is your overall level of concern and and how much optimism do you have, if any at all, that he can come back up and help the Mariners win games at some point this season?
1: You know, I'm pretty concerned long-term. I don't feel like we've seen a highly touted prospect that was touted like this really sort of bust at the major league level. Um, so far, you know.
2: I mean, we have seen it, but it's been a while. Like Brandon Wood's a good example of that. But that's was, tw- almost 20 years ago. Right, right. I'm saying yes. It's it's still, the, very, the top 10 world. prospects generally pan out, yes.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and particularly top five. Um, we haven't seen that in a, in a while. And, you know, the lack of contact, the strikeouts, the lack of approach at the major league level versus what we saw during that 2019 season where he, I think we really need to mention that again. He was really like, he was tremendous jumping from low a to double a within that season. the early portion of last year when he was in triple a, he looked tremendous and it's just, he's never been able to get over that major league comp now we've seen guys struggle into their mid twenties and then something clicks and we all of a sudden finally see that player materialize into, you know, a version of what we thought the complete plot product will look like. Cough, cough, Kyle, right, right now uh, on the pitching side seems to be one of those guys, but yeah, I, it's, it's tough because I was one of the people in the public space that was really banging the drum for um, Kalenick, uh, Kalenic, excuse me, over, over Wander Franco, particularly in, in fantasy leagues, because I thought he's going to be up. If there's going to hit for a lot of power, kind of question what Franco's power output would be. That's been one of my worst predictions, um, and it's it's tough. I mean, this this it's probably a little personal with with, with Kellnick, honestly. I, I don't understand why we didn't see this level of swing and miss ever in the minors. His strikeout rate is doubled at the major league level. You you'll see it go up by five, six, seven percent. You don't see a strikeout rate go from sub 20% to high 30s, 40%. He wasn't that kind of guy. Um, So I, I just, I wonder what's going on here. I know they've tried to adjust the swing a few different times. seems like there's always something they're figuring out. And regardless of what adjustments he makes, it just doesn't work.
2: I think there's a couple of things at play here. First and foremost, he only got 21 career games at double A and he's had 30 games at triple A. And that's where, let, let's be clear. We talk about prospects and all these breakouts and the complex leagues and low double A is where it gets real. Double A is where you're actually seeing pitchers who, you know, pitch in a way that somewhat resembles the major leagues. It's not the same level by any means. There's still a huge gap, but you know, a ball levels, you're seeing guys with, a fastball and, and maybe one breaking ball they can land for strikes. It's, it's not really what you're going to see. Double-A is where prospects get real. And he just didn't get the experience. You know, in 2020, he should have gone back to double-A. Well, the season was canceled. And a lot of teams struggled with what is the value of the alternate training site? Like, what, what does that mean this player is now ready for? 2021 comes up. The comments by uh, President and CEO Kevin Mather just made it. Way worse and put even more of a spotlight on him and and forced the Mariners to bring him up from AAA after he played about a week there. When again, he really wasn't ready. And this was at a time when the minor leagues, the quality of minor leagues had dropped precipitously coming out of the pandemic. So I think this was a guy who was just not ready to be in the major leagues when he got called up, given that lack of experience at the upper levels. And the thing with Jared Kalanick, and this has been true since he was drafted. This was in his draft reports. He is a very, very, very intense individual. There's a lot of fire in there. And the question with him was always, is he going to be able to channel that fire and use it you know, in a positive way? Or is he going to let it consume him? And one of the things the Mariners have been very open about is there are times when he's struggling. He cannot get out of his own head. He's so intense and so fiery. He just, it does consume him. And that's always been a question with him. This is where makeup comes in. It's not just about physical skills, especially once you get to the major leagues, you know, it's still a very, very young kid. Again, he's 22 years old. A lot of guys his age are in a ball or barely breaking through to double a. So I don't think we should be completely giving up on him just because again, unique circumstances, premature debut, but he certainly has some things to figure out and I do think a big part of it is the mental component of, again, when things start to spiral, being able to flush that over four with three punch outs, being able to just shake it off as opposed to sitting on it and stewing on it and letting it consume you. That's something he has always struggled with. The Mariners have been open about that. And, um, I think that's honestly one thing he's got to learn to fear because this game is so full of failure and it can spiral on you really fast. And that that's actually, for me, what I want to see when he comes back up next. Let's be clear, he will get another shot. It's not like this is the end of Jared Kalanick, but is he able to just, hey, I went over 4, punched out three times. I got another game tomorrow. I got to flush this. Can he do that? I think that is honestly step one above anything mechanically. All right, Jeff, uh, moving on. One final team that, again, there's some negativity around is the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, I wrote about it a couple times earlier this season. They were looking like they had a chance to threaten the 1962 Mets and 2003 Tigers as uh, the two worst teams, really, of the integration era. Since then, they've picked it up a little bit. But even with that recent pickup, they are currently on pace to go 52 and 110. When you consider the fact that, look, we know they're not going anywhere and it's not that hard to imagine them trading what few assets they have at the trade deadline. Do you think they'll threaten the 120 loss record or or do you think that's safe a little bit?
1: I think it's going to be safe a little bit um, because I think they have some young players that are going to get better. I also think, you know, one thing that hasn't been mentioned is uh, Jonathan Indy has been out for a majority of the season. And I think at this point, um, if you're a Reds fan, you probably view him I love Joey Votto but you probably view him as your franchise guy and at least from a position side and not having him in the lineup I think hurts them even more Uh, I I know that the timetable is still pretty bleak that he's probably going to be out for another four to six weeks before he's on a rehab assignment and ready to go Um, so that's probably not great but I do think in the second half of the season they could be a better team. I just don't think they're going to they're gonna meet that 120 loss threshold. So I think that record is probably safe. They will be one of the worst teams that we've seen over the last couple of years. And I bet if there is, I'm sure there's somebody that has a metric like this, but if we approached it from like a weighted runs created plus sort of perspective, if you look at their division and how many losses that they have, They might have the most, like the most weighted loss, like, like worst weighted uh, win loss record or something. Just because like you look at the division, Cubs aren't a very good team. Um, The Pirates are, I think we all think the Pirates are probably just as bad as the Reds. I mean, they're four games ahead of them, but they have uh, almost the same record as the Cubs. It's really the Brewers and the Cardinals in that division. And, and nobody else Um, good teams in the Cardinals and the Brewers, of course, but they have three really bad teams in that division. And I think if you look um, really only the the other central probably has three equally bad teams uh, looking at those at, at the six divisions in baseball.
2: Yeah, I, I think they're safe. If you actually look at it, the Reds are 11-8 and eight in their last 19 games. They're starting to get healthy, and some of their young guys are starting to get better. We've already seen with Hunter Green taking some strides forward. And you know, you mentioned the division they play in. I just go back to, again, they're, they're turning it around. They're actually, again, 11-8 and eight in their last 19 games. Where have those wins come from? It's a bunch of wins against the Pirates and a <laughs> couple of wins against the Cubs, including being the Cubs 20-5 to yesterday. They're going to have too many opportunities to win games, even if they make some moves at the deadline, to get anywhere near 120 losses. Again, could they go 54 and 108? Absolutely. 56 and 106? Totally. I mean, there's a very real chance they fail to win 60 games, but there's a big difference between winning 40 and winning 60. They're 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 starting to get healthy, and guys are starting to get better. Some of their young guys. So. I think they're safe, but uh, it was certainly kind of crazy to watch, a 3-22 start, looking at the run differential and realizing it was a worse start than either the 62 Mets or the 2003 Tigers. All right, Jeff, uh, a couple things here before I wrap up. We're going to do a full accounting of our preseason predictions once the season's actually over. But a quarter of the way through, it's always nice to kind of see where at least we might have gotten something right where we might have gotten something wrong have to ask you, which of your early predictions from our (laughs) preseason podcast are looking good right now? Oh, man. I don't know if
1: any of them are. (laughs) I went back and I looked at some of the preseason predictions that I put out there. Um, And I'll say, like, to cover my butt a little bit here, I do try to go with a little higher degree of difficulty with some of the stuff that I put out and try to make some more, I guess, outlandish predictions. But right now, it's not looking good. I had, like, Dylan Carlson... And Tanner Hawk is like my breakout um, uh, hitter and and pitcher. Carlson was starting to come on, but now is a a pretty bad um, hamstring sprain, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Tanner Hawk has not been good. He's dealt with some other stuff off the field too. Um, I think I had Cleveland as my surprise team, and uh, they're three and seven over their last 10. Uh, They've fallen well below 500. They're still in third in that division, but that's not saying a whole lot. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones I had. It just, it hasn't been, uh, so far it hasn't been great. My, my preseason fantasy predictions with guys that you should add, um, some of the players that maybe I was on in those data articles are probably uh, better predictions and reflect my
2: true talent level more than <laughs> these other predictions that we
1: did, but they have not been good.
2: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking pretty good so far. The Twins as my surprise team, a team that could go from last place to the postseason, that one's looking really, really good. And I, I made that pick before they signed Carlos Correa. So that was uh, extra gravy there. They're in first place right now looking pretty good. Again, the White Sox, I still expect the White Sox to, to kind of be better than they've been. That Some of it's been health related, uh, but there are some real questions about the the pitching staff. Uh, the Twins are just, yeah, i Really good lineup and the pitching's been better than expected. You added a weak division. That's a that's a pick looking really good. I'm, I'm feeling good about that one right now. I remember arguing with you extensively over Slack that I did not think the Guardians would be very good. So far, I'm winning that argument. So you owe me lunch uh, next time we see each other, although we'll see how the season ends. Uh, I picked the Padres to bounce back. So far, you know, we talk about the Dodgers and how good they've been. The Padres are only two games back. The Padres are actually, again, they are another team that has a, higher winning percentage than the Mets. And I think you would never, ever, ever guess that just based on the national narratives being thrown around. But right now, the winning teams in the National League are Dodgers 1, Brewers 2, Padres 3, Mets 4. Again, I saw a much, much better rotation with a lot more depth, and that's played out. And Aaron Judge was my AL MVP pick, and that one's looking really, really good too. So I think what we've discovered here, which we probably might have known already, listen to Jeff for fantasy advice, listen to me for real on-the-field baseball advice. You won't be let down that way. All right, Jeff, final thing before we wrap up here. Again, it's been a lot of fun. There's a lot of cool things happening. We're barely just over a quarter of the way into the season. There's a lot of baseball still left to be played. What is something that you are going to be watching, especially closely here through the end of the season?
1: I think it's the, for me, it's just the excitement of, the AL East. Um, the Red Sox are obviously two games below 500 right now, um, but I think they could get better as the season goes on. You have three really good teams at the top uh, and the Blue Jays, the Rays, and of course the Yankees who we discussed significantly uh, at the beginning of the show. Um, to me, this is a great division to watch. You could get three playoff teams out of this division um, and you could have, you know, two teams, maybe three that make potentially really long runs. Um, I, I'd be shocked if it's not an arms race within a month or so, what, as players become available uh, on these non-competitive clubs and teams are looking to make trades with veterans, add prospects and reinforcements. Um, it's not going to shock me if the Yankees and Blue Jays, and even the Rays, have shown a willingness to go and acquire veteran talent uh, heading down the stretch. Really exciting just to watch those three teams, and I think you know to a lesser extent, Um, the NL West as well, where um, there's three really good teams. You know, the Padres have been a really good team so far this year. And I think deserve to at least be mentioned because they're 28 and 16. Um, You know, they're not all that far off winning percentage wise from the Mets. They might even be ahead of them.
2: Are They They are ahead of the Mets. Yeah, no, I think, you know, again, they don't, A really good job on the pitching side, and and Manny Machado has been playing like an MVP in the National League. Uh, Two things I'm going to be watching, first and foremost, the Blue Jays and White Sox, these two teams, they're offenses. If you told me they'd be 24th and 25th in the majors at run score at at any point in the season beyond the first couple weeks, I would have been very surprised. But these are two teams that offensively, we all know, are much better than what they've shown so far. Again, I I really want to see how those two teams improve as the year progresses, and I think we will see it, but that's something I'm going to be watching because these are two teams that coming into the year, I think, you know, no one's ever really a slam dunk playoff team, but you felt pretty good about those two, uh, and right now, again, they're they're both scuffling, um, and it's something that I'm be watching, and of course, I think, you know, the, one of the biggest storylines that everyone has talked about for years is, well, we get to see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani in the playoffs. Um, the Angels, you know, we talked about it, are another team that maybe isn't getting quite the attention they deserve, but they're a team that they're only two and a half games out of the division lead in the AOS behind the Astros. They're right there. If the season ended today, they're in the playoffs. They're right there with the Rays, who, again, get a lot of love. 27-19, to their run differential is way up. It's plus 45, which is third highest in the American League behind only the, the Yankees and the Astros. This is a deeper lineup that at times it's given credit for, some of the guys they have, although as injuries are starting to hit, it, it's certainly starting to thin out a little bit. And for the first time, they really have you know four solid starting pitchers they can turn to. When I say first time, first time in a while when you look at Otani, Syndergaard, Sandoval, and Lorenzen's been great converting from the bullpen. Um, but look, the back rotation still isn't great. The bullpen has some questions. As injuries hit, this lineup will thin out a little bit. So it's not a slam dunk. But I'm going to be watching closely to see if they can keep it up and, and finally be the team that makes it. Jeff? I think we just knocked everything out. Thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate it. And uh, look forward to talking to you next time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully uh, Cleveland goes in a run here and just plays 700 baseball until the end of
2: the year. And then you owe me lunch. Sounds good. <laughs> well, everyone, that'll do it for another BA podcast for Jeff Ponce. I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody.